This episode is sponsored by Rulin Group. There are four gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and the common link between all of them is each one was sourced through the Ruling Group. If you want to deliver amazing gifts that capture people's attention, go to GiversEdge.com to learn more. Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman, unconventional strategies for selling innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by Marissa Levin. She's the leadership mindset columnist for Inc. Magazine. Building an advisory board is a critical step in the development and maturity of just about any business. Marissa built a successful business and really broke through when she discovered the right way to build an advisory board for her company. Her book, Scale, provides a step-by-step roadmap on the right way to build an advisory board for your business. You're going to learn a ton. Get ready to take notes with Marissa Levin. So Marissa Levin, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. Always great to talk to you. So we're talking about this idea of building advisory boards. And for our listeners, can you start by explaining the difference between what an advisory board is versus other boards that people typically see in businesses? Sure. And um, that's a great and very common question. So an advisory board, there's actually many, many different types of boards. An advisory board is a hand-selected board of specific advisors that what I recommend are aligned to what I call the holes and goals of an organization. So when an organization is thinking about putting together an advisory board, a lot of times, Ian, what you'll find is that they will meet somebody really cool or uh, really successful, and they'll think, I need that person on my advisory board. And they're kind of putting the cart before the horse. Where they really need to be starting is looking inside their company, finding out what is missing, those are the holes, and where they want to go, those are the goals, and then matching and finding the people aligned to what they need. An advisory board, these are really, really smart people who are um, emotionally invested in the success of your company, not necessarily financially invested, Uh, who the CEO can listen to, but uh, the level of accountability is not nearly as high or as invested as with a board of directors. And then you've got other types of boards like shared boards, which you may find in organizations such as Vistage um, or EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, where there's a forum type of uh, board that comes together. You've got mastermind groups, which are also shared groups. So there's all different sorts, sorts of boards out there, but the advisory board is really the hand-selected group of advisors that are specifically aligned to the holes and goals of your organization. Got it. So, so, and, and that's the, the key difference is that it's advisors that you're handpicking rather than the ones that are imposed upon you, I guess. Right. And, and the fact that, um, you know, like with Vistage, you've got, you could have up to 20 people at a board table and they're, they're all CEOs And I love the shared group. I mean, I'm in a forum in Entrepreneurs Organization. I have a stellar mastermind group, which provides me tremendous value. But those types of groups are sometimes what I like to call professional therapy. These are CEOs who are going through the same types of challenges that you have. 
have. Um, they, um, they understand where you are emotionally, financially, psychologically in terms of building a business, but they're not involved in your business from a day-to-day perspective and they're not aligned to your specific needs. They're a phenomenal peer group, phenomenal sounding board and, and, uh, and support group, but again, they're not directly involved in your organization on a, day to, on a daily basis. Yep. So now, where where are great places to use an advisory board? So if if you're a CEO of a company, you're thinking, well, when when I when when is a great place for me to employ an advisory board? Um, what advice would you give people? So you know, I get that question all the time of you know what size company do I need to be at until I get a board? And I say the day that you open your doors is the day you need to start thinking about advisors. And it you know people may have an idea of well you know this vision of five, six, seven advisors sitting around a table, and until you can get to that point, maybe you're not ready for a board. The whole idea of creating a community of advisors is essential in moving your business forward. Whether you're at one employee, three employees, 10 employees, 100 employees, you can always surround yourself with the people you need to teach you what you don't know, to help you avoid the landmines that might be coming because they've already experienced them, uh, introduce you to other people who can help move your business forward, find business development opportunities, um, create different offices within your organization so that you implement the right processes. All of these types of things can be done literally from day one when you open your doors for your business, even if you're just starting with one or two advisors. Yeah. And, and I know that for, for a lot of organizations, there's, you know, people, people have different perspectives on an advisory board. I mean, I, I serve on some advisory boards. I've had advisory boards in, uh, in other businesses of mine. And I think the first thing that people say is, oh, I'm going to get an advisory board and that's going to be my business development. It's going to build all of it, which I think in the federal government, in, in government-related um, businesses, that can work really well. Um, probably a little bit less so on the commercial side. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are that the board is always an extension of the brand and of the company. It cannot fully replace any function. And before a board is even enacted, before you know an executive team goes ahead and implements an advisory board, they have to make sure that they have their ducks in a row. It is not the advisory board's job to create the core value system, the mission, the vision, the overall long-term strategy. These are the things that need to be in place when you go and you interview and you vet your advisory board candidates. You have to have a full board search document that clearly states everything I just mentioned, as well as what you see their role being. But the advisory board is always a supplement to the organization. It's an extension of the organization, and it's an important extension, and it's a, and it's a representation of the brand. So there are ways in which you have to be very consciously um, aware of how you integrate the board into your organization, making sure that the right people and the right stakeholders are on board with your board, making sure that the board understands that when it's out and about in the community at networking events, um, you know, at meeting with customers, that it has your company as top of mind. There are ways to integrate the board and make it a very vibrant and effective extension of your company, but in no way will the board ever replace a specific function, including business development. Yep. Now, let me, let me ask you this. 
because I, I know that I know that you've helped businesses in building advisory boards. So, what are the biggest mistakes that executives make when considering an advisory board? That's a great question, and I actually have a white paper um, on my website that your listeners can download that goes into that in depth. Um, but the number one thing is actually kind of being starstruck. You know, a lot of people think. If I could just get a really big name on my advisory board, that is going to attract a lot of attention. And the problem with that is that a lot of the really big name people, they end up being empty seats. They're not really focused on your business. They're not engaged. And so you're taking up a very valuable seat and you're disrupting the chemistry of what could be a very effective board by someone who's basically just a name. So the first thing is definitely you don't want to be starstruck. The second thing, as I mentioned right at the beginning, is it's very important to start with your what your holes and your goals are as opposed to reverse engineering it where you find someone that might be quote unquote really cool or really successful and then you try and force fit them into your board. There's a lot of things that have to go into consideration when you're building an advisory board. It isn't just about you know what their industry experience is. It's about their availability. It's about organizational culture fit. You know, it's it's about how much do they want to be engaged in your organization? Do they only want to work with the CEO or are they also going to be willing to work with the executive team and maybe even the sales team? So there's a whole host of criteria that have to be considered, not just, oh, well, this person looks like they'd be really good to have on my board. So that's the second thing, making sure you're starting with holes and goals. The third thing is be ready to, um, to implement, you know, make sure that you're really ready because when you implement an advisory board, change is going to happen and the ripple effects can be far reaching. So are you really ready to make the changes that are going to occur? Are you ready to bring on new customers, maybe terminate customers? Are you ready to bring in new infrastructure, new people, new processes? Change is hard and, you know, you're doing this because you want to take your business to the next level, but Along that process, there's going to be some pain. So make sure that you're prepared. And then the fourth thing for that I think is really important is you're assembling all these people, you're engaging them. You know, you've got to say, I am going to listen to what they say because the thing that will frustrate an advisor the most is that they've stepped up, they've committed their time, they've committed their energy and their resources. And they're, they're working with a CEO that basically isn't implementing what they say. So be coachable, you know, and, uh, and be open to what you're learning. So those are just four of the things that I would, I would um, say right off the bat are some of the biggest mistakes. Yeah, I love that. So don't be starstruck. Make sure you know your holes and goals so you're not reverse engineering based on who you found, but instead identifying what you need to fill your holes and achieve your goals. Are you ready to implement and are you actually coachable and can put something to work? That's that's how you, that's a formula for how you're going to get there. And those are the big things to um, to overcome. Now, I know that in scale in your book that you lay out a formula that that follows that that acronym scale, S-C-A-L-E. Um, can you walk us through that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thank you for asking. So, uh, you know, you, you, know, you know my backstory. My first company is 20 years old. And we, you know, several years ago, we hit this plateau. And, you know, despite our growth, I kind of felt like it was the wild, wild west in my company. I mean, we were running more than 70 projects at a time. And even though my project managers were project management certified, I, I felt like there was not a lot of structure 
and it was just kind of chaotic. And so I didn't know how to get past this feeling of chaos and the feeling of loss of control. And one of my advisors said to me, have you thought about putting in an advisory board? And I had never even really considered the concept. So when I went out and tried to find information on how to do it, Ian, there was literally nothing out there. There was information that you should do it and, and how an advisory board can help you, but there was no process. And look, you know, entrepreneurs, we need, we like to be told how to do things, not just to do them, but give me the formula. And so for about a year, as I put in my advisory board, I took my own notes on how I was doing it. And I came up with the model scale and uh, it's now international. It's been crazy how it took off and it stands for select compensate, associate, leverage, and then evaluate, evolve, and exit. And so in the select phase, I go over everything that has to be done where you are proactively and intentionally selecting the right people. So um, how do you identify your holes and your goals, short-term, medium-term, and long-term? Where do you go and find them? What are your criteria? What are the things to avoid? How do you conduct an interview to vet the right people? How do you actually bring them on once you have selected them? What are all the different legal templates you need to do that? Then you move to the compensation section. And, you know, I get so many questions. Well, how much equity should I give? And do I give stock options? And how do I compensate them monetarily? And, you know, I don't have a lot of money. What are some other ways I can engage? And so in the compensation section, I focus on the, you know, equity stock options, phantom stock um, options, things like that that are non-monetary. And then I also talk about the monetary structure, you know, how much do you pay um, per quarter, you know, or per meeting. And then I have some creative solutions for companies that are looking, that may be cash-strapped, um, that are looking to bring on advisors that maybe they can serve their advisors in a different capacity. And I interviewed an expert um, who, you know, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not an accountant, and so this was a little bit out of my comfort zone, and I wanted to make sure my content was accurate. I mean, this is very important financial guidance. Sure. So I went to an expert and I, and I transcribed a, a, an hour-long interview, and that is all in the book. And then the associate part of the model is how do you actually integrate the board into your organization? And there's two prongs to that. There's the legal aspect, which are all of the legal documents you need. So the board search document, the board advisor's agreement, the non-compete, the NDA, and all those templates are in the back of the book that I give to my readers. And then you've got how do you integrate and associate the board into the organizational culture because you can't just shove them down their throat. So how do you make the board an extension of the brand? How do you bring them into the company? How do you make them feel that they are part of something you know that's growing? So that's the associate piece. The leverage part of the model is how are all the ways in which you can leverage your board? It isn't just about financial investment or business development. We brought in a great advisor just to stand up my project management office inside my organization, and she brought my entire team up to speed and implemented that for me. We've used advisors on um, evaluating and sourcing and running an RFP process for external vendors. We've used uh, advisors to negotiate lease agreements. There, and so in that part of the book, there are more than 35 ways listed on how people can actually leverage their board. And then the final part of the model, evaluate, evolve, and exit, is knowing that a board is a fluid, dynamic entity that is always changing. And if you've done things right, you will evolve and outgrow 
know your board members, but you want to do it in such a way that always leaves the door open, like with an exit interview, and you always want to be looking for potential new advisors because your board is something that is evolutionary. It is not static. So that's the whole model. Yeah, and I, and I think even if you've got someone who's great, they may kind of you know, live out their uh, their usefulness to you. So you may still enjoy them. Maybe somebody you want to hang out with, mm-hmm. but they're just not adding value to you and more importantly to your team. And they, maybe they want to roll off for other reasons, you know, that, that they have other commitments or, you know, they have like a personal commitment that, you know, precludes them from being able to serve. So, you know, look, people um, come together and then they and then they go separate ways. And whenever this happens, there's no reason for it ever to have animosity, you know, for there to be bad feelings. There are ways in which board members can roll on and then they can roll off and you can leave that that door open for future service or, you know, just make sure that bridge stays intact. And so the final part of my model goes through, you know, how you're constantly evolving the board and how you exit gracefully. When you talk about compensate, because I know that's an area that's hot for a lot of people. Um, can you go a little bit deeper in the area of compensation? Because I know that, you know, when, when I had advisory boards in the past, it, it, there was a remarkable um, remarkable coincidence, which was the people that didn't have any skin in the game tended to not add a lot of value, and the people out of skin in the game tended to add a lot of value, and it didn't matter how much wealth the people had. So it wasn't like, oh, here's this person who's a billionaire, so they don't care if they're compensated. I mean, ironically, it would be you know oftentimes the person who was the most affluent person on the board once we gave a little bit of compensation or incentive, all of a sudden we got, you know, tenfold out of them. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting when we don't give, you know, when we don't put a little skin in the game and we don't invest in our advisors, we don't even feel comfortable calling them. Like it goes both ways, right? Like if we're not putting skin in the game, why should they be motivated to put their own skin in the game? But if we're not putting skin in the game, like we're not going to even feel comfortable reaching out. So, you know, it, it, I think psychologically it's very important to um, make a financial commitment to your advisors. But that being said, you know, unlike a board of directors, you know, there's a, when you serve on a board of directors, there could be a major financial upside, right? I mean, you know, you're dealing with heavy compensation, you're dealing with a lot of stock options, but with advisory boards, the people who serve on advisory boards aren't doing it, and I know this from my research, they're not doing it for financial reasons. They do it because they believe in the leadership and they believe in the business model and they want to give back. You know, they want to help the next generation of business leaders push their businesses forward and be great entrepreneurs. They're looking to stay relevant and stay connected to a business going on in the community. So their drivers are not necessarily financial. But that being said, yes, you have to put a little bit of skin in the game. And I do get the question of how much equity should I give? And what surprises me is, especially for the really small companies that are just starting out, you know, they think that they have to give a lot more than they do. Now, keep in mind that your advisors, this is a really, really small part of their overall life. They're showing up for a few meetings during the year. You know, they're available for phone calls. This is not the center of their world. And so you compensate them accordingly. The other thing is, If you do have a long relationship with an advisor and you want to make it performance-based, 
then you want to make sure that you leave room for there to be the ability to add on additional equity compensation. And you also have to remember that if you've got five, six, seven people on your advisory board and you want to give some equity to your employees, you know, there's only so much to go around. So my advisor, uh, who's Wayne Zell, um, who is the one that I interviewed in the book, he's with Odin, Feldman, and Pittleman, he recommended that you do one half to one quarter of 1% per advisor. I mean, that does not sound like a lot, right? And, you know, when a company's starting out and you say, oh, well, I'm going to give my advisors 5%. Really? Well, 5% of nothing, you're right, is nothing. 5% of $10 million, and then you're giving that to five people, you've just given away 25% of $10 million. Yeah, I think I think that the... Um there's, there's a couple of things that I often tell people. One is, I've never met an entrepreneur who said, man, I wish I had given away more of my business. Right. Right. So right. Usually, usually, that doesn't, usually that doesn't happen. Right. And, and I think that there's different things that you can do. One of, the, one of the models that I suggest to my clients is, look, if you – and this will tie back into your idea of holes and goals. Hey, here are the goals that we have. If we achieve these goals, I want to reward the advisory board in this way. And now you've got everyone targeting that same goal and objective. So you might say, look, I'm going to allocate 5% of the business, the advisory board, if we hit this goal. And now collectively, there's 5% that gets spread across the advisory board if, as an organization, they hit that goal. And yeah, and I agree with that. And also, you know, Wayne definitely agrees with making sure that it is performance based. And this gets back to the select phase where when you're vetting your your advisors and you're creating their board service agreement, the more that you can specify what you're expecting from them, it's just like an employee. If I advise that you keep your advisors in their dedicated swim lanes. So you're bringing on people, you know, like for us, we brought an advisor that was able to open up the Department of Treasury and Internal Revenue Service. We brought on an advisor that was able to open up Defense Acquisition University. We had very specific advisors in dedicated swim lanes, and we knew exactly what we were expecting from them, and they know as well, right? So create performance-based advisory board agreements and performance-based compensation. And the other thing that, that Wayne recommended and which I talk about in the book is that you want to have in place what's known as a restricted stock agreement. So in the event that you do roll somebody off, you want to make sure that you can buy that stock back from them for a penny. Because the last thing that you want to happen is that let's say, you, you know, down the road several years later, you have a liquidity event, you want to go ahead and you want to sell your business. Well, guess what? If there's a few percentage points of your stock floating out out there, even with an advisor, they can actually hold up that sale. So it's very important that you protect yourself, not only for the amount that you delegate and, and, um, and distribute, but also making sure that you can get it back in the event that there's a separation from an advisor. Yep. And I think, and what, by the way, what I, what I love about the, the examples that you gave is, you know, especially especially in the federal government. I mean, I just I just find that depending on the type of business, anybody who's doing business, let's say in the federal government, in uh, in in highly regulated areas, even the idea of advisory boards for business development, I think, can be incredibly valuable. I think once you, I think once you get on the commercial side, there are companies that say, 
All right. Well, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna get an advisory board, and that's how we're going to grow. And to your point earlier, if you don't know what your holes and goals are, the idea of well, right now we have a mediocre message, and we don't have a good sales methodology. I know we'll grow by building an advisory board. Well, guess what? The advisory board comes in and says, okay, what's the clear message? What market are you going after? And when you look with a blank stare, now you have additional people who probably don't have a lot of confidence in your business because you don't have all your ducks in a row. Yeah, and you can't measure them, right? You can't you can't manage them, you can't measure them and and you know, you you need to be able to equip your board and you need to just like employees, you need to be able to set them up for success. So you have to arm them with the story, right? You need to arm them with the core value system, the mission, the vision, the competitive differentiators, you know, what problem they're solving in the marketplace. You have to arm them with all of that, not only for their own internal knowledge, but also so that when they're out and about in the marketplace, they can talk about you intelligently and represent you in such a way that may lead to business. But you're right. I mean, definitely in the federal space, I mean, our experience is that the advisors that we ended up having, they um, they resulted in several million dollars in sales Absolutely. That, we, that we never would have gotten because they were able to open the doors. Now, these, you know, these retired federal officials who are now in private sector, that is a huge part of their value. They have access to people that we would not have had access to. Now, obviously, we, you know, they walked us in. We had to do all the hard work. We had to sure. you know, develop the proposal and we had to put the team together. And then most importantly, we had to perform, right? But, you, but the first step, Ian, as you know, in sales is access. You've got to have access to the decision makers. And if you don't, then you're going to be locked out. So, so that's the value of a business development function on an advisory board is really getting the access to the people who can, who can give you the opportunities. Yeah, and I think especially on that federal side, that access is so valuable. My, my experience on the commercial side is, you know, I know people who were, you know, were CEOs of insurance companies and a week after they left the company – People would meet with them, but there's no real sense of obligation. On the federal side, oftentimes the person who's in charge now is the person who was mentored by your advisory board member. And they kind of feel a sense of, well, let me do everything I possibly can to help this person because I'm going to be that person five years from now. Yeah, you know, I think you're right. I definitely think that there's a lot of loyalty. I mean, you know, one of our advisors at Information Experts many years ago was was Greg Rothwell, who was the ex-commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service, and he was the ex-chief procurement officer of Department of Homeland Security. And in fact, he was the architect for the Department of Homeland Security Eagle contract and the Department of Treasury TIPS contract, like two of the largest procurement vehicles in those agencies' history. And Greg had the respect. He would literally walk into a room and people would stand at attention. I mean, he was a legend. And, you know, it's funny, Ian, how things always work out. The reason that he became so loyal to my company, actually, is because his daughter at the time was a junior in college, and I didn't know her, and she applied for an internship just, you know, randomly to my company, and I loved her. You know, I I never knew her father or anything, and I gave her daughter, I gave his daughter her first job, so guess what? 
he was extremely loyal to me. So I'll tell you, it's a great lesson in that you just, you know, always operate with integrity, always operate with the intention to help others and to mentor others. And it's funny how it comes back around because that's how Greg Rothwell became a part of my life. That's great. So Marissa, this is, this is great information. I'm sure people are taking a ton of notes. If you had one piece of advice for our audience, what would it be? Uh, my, the one piece related to this topic is recognize that asking for help is the single greatest strength that any business owner could ever have if they want to grow to, you know, um, put the ego aside and know that when you ask for help, that is when you are open to becoming the best person you can be. And it's always, always a sign of strength because, None of us have all the answers. We don't know what we don't know. And surrounding ourselves with a really, really strong community of advisors is an essential strategy for smart growth. That's, that's, that's great wisdom. Now, what's the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you? And, of course, all the, all the details will be in the show notes. So if you want to give us one place and you can share other ones later and we'll include them in the show notes. But what's the single best way for people to get a hold of you? So I'm at SuccessfulCulture.com. That's my website. And I would invite everybody listening to please sign up for my leadership blog, which I publish every Friday about organizational culture and leadership. And I'm also extremely active on LinkedIn. And so you can find me, Marissa Levin. Um, those are two of the main places. I mean, obviously, like everybody else, I'm on all the other platforms. But uh, Successful Culture is my website. I've got a ton of content and white papers on there, um, as well as all my articles from all the publications that I support. So I would love to have you visit there and uh, sign up for my blog and connect with me on LinkedIn. And of course, your leadership columns in Inc. as well. Yeah, so I'm I'm the syndicated columnist for advisory board information for Smart CEO Magazine, but I am also Inc. Magazine's columnist um, on um, leadership mindset. And so, uh, yeah, you can find me in Inc., you can find me on Successful Culture, um, and also in Smart CEO Magazine. Excellent. Marissa, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Oh, Ian, thank you for giving me a platform and for all that you do for so many. It makes such a difference. Marissa shared some great information. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key takeaways I think you can use in your business. First, recognize the difference is that in an advisory board, you hand-select those individuals to serve you and your needs. It's not like a board of directors who oversee you as the CEO. Don't get starstruck when you're trying to pick advisory board members. Make sure you identify your holes and goals, as Marissa calls them, to know what gaps you're trying to fill and what you're trying to accomplish. And finally, follow her acronym of SCALE. Select, compensate, associate, leverage, and evaluate, evolve, and exit. This will help you develop a high-value, high-producing advisory board. This show gets its direction from you, the listener. If you know someone I should have as a guest on the show, or if there's a topic you'd love for me to cover, please let me know at ian.altman at growmyrevenue.com. Also, be sure to check out the show notes where you can get information from Marissa, including if you want to be profiled because you have an advisory board and her column in Inc., there's information where you can participate there as well. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, even your customer. Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. 
Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on GrowMyRevenue.com and via Twitter at GrowMyRevenue. 